Welcome to episode two of the Soulmate Alchemy podcast. I am so excited for you to dive into this episode. It is juicy AF. We are joined by my client, Andrea, who is a Reiki master and an actress. And she's been in a few of my programs, but today we're talking about cosmic self-love, which is a really beautiful alternative approach to healing body image issues, um, sisterhood issues, self-love issues, issues with food, etc. And we're also going to be talking about my masterclass or mini course, Mermaids and the Return of the Divine Masculine, which is a course that has to do with the fall of Lemuria, um, mermaids during the time of Lemuria and Atlantis, and how that relates to our relationship with the masculine today. Cosmic self-love includes 13 theta healing activations on you know shifting your relationship with your body, uh, stepping more fully into your power, healing your fear of being seen, healing your womb chakra, etc. And mermaids and the return of the divine masculine has four theta healing activations that are related to you know more more in-depth womb healing and also healing some past life trauma and healing your relationship with the masculine so both of those experiences are so beautiful super intense really profound healing and you can get the codes below to join both of those for the month of august i am going to be doing a sale on cosmic self-love so below you will see a link to join cosmic self-love and you can use the code self-love at checkout to get a hundred dollars off without further ado i am so excited to dive into this episode with andrea thank you so much for coming on the show andrea Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to dive in. You sent me an email and it was just so rich with so many just incredible cosmic experiences. So I'm really excited. Tell me more about you, your background, um, where you're from, and we can go from there. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Andrea. I live in Los Angeles. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I'm an actress. I actually have two like passion careers. Um, the first one is that I'm an actress. I've been acting since I was a kid. Um, I do a lot of theater and voiceover, but I also do some TV and film. And then I'm also a, uh, wellness practitioner, Reiki master, general, um, which I guess you could say in this space. Um, but I see a lot of clients. We do a lot of healing work, a lot of past life, um, energy work, tarot. So I'm super passionate about uh, spiritual growth. And I really think that um, all of us growing and and expanding our spiritual consciousness is such beautiful, important medicine to the toxic patriarchy that we are currently experiencing. So Izzy, when I found your work, it was just so, uh, it was so right, right on and, and it hit home. So, um, so yeah, I'm super excited to be talking about it. Amazing. So what did you feel like really hit home about it for you? 
Well, the first thing I will say is what I love about you is that you lean so hard into magic. And that is something that um, like I feel the more that I have grown spiritually and also as a human, um, the more magical my life gets. But I feel I, I grew up uh, my my parents leaned really hard into Catholicism. So yeah. all of this work is very like taboo. So it took me a really long time to really um, find this path and open up to this path. And the more I grow, the more magical I feel like my life becomes. Mm-hmm. And um, I really love that you lean into that. You really love and you, you lean into all the juicy, esoteric, mystic, traditions and wisdom and and that really speaks to me um and I also really loved the way that you well one of the first things that really drew me to you is the way that you sort of talk about your own empowerment the way that you especially talk about your body that you are a vessel of like divine life and miracles and um as somebody again who's like you know been acting since I was you know 12 or 13 um the impossible beauty standards that we are held to as women in this world, just, they, I, I, they can destroy you. I mean, it it is, it's devastating. And so really confronting that and coming to terms, especially through cosmic self-love was so, so powerful. Yeah. I actually think those of us who grew up in like the early two thousands, you know, in the kind of Uh Britney Spears era, you know, we watched Britney Spears be completely destroyed. Um, like the Paris Hilton era. I think that we have had it the hardest as far as body image goes. I think you're, I think that is so true, especially because like every decade we've lived through, there's a different body image standard and there's no winning. Like there's never any, um, there's no way to achieve that. And, and I, um, I, well, first of all, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism when I was a young teenager. So my weight has always been fluctuating. Mm-hmm. I've always been curvy. Um, but you know, I've even at my very, very thinnest, I had a voice teacher at 15, tell me that I was too fat to be an actress. And looking back now, I just think it's insane. And I can also sort of look at her and see her own wounding and sort of see where she was coming from. And, you know, I can look back and forgive her, but that was, that was, that was conditioning for me. Mm -hmm. And also sort of growing up in this Catholic world where I was sort of taught to be an obedient child. I just thought she was right. I just thought that adults were always right. And so that's something else I've really had to work through is like, no, I, I know some shit. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm my own authority. Absolutely. So, and also just, you know, to like really reiterate, like, that's not just like shitty. That's just abuse to tell a 15 year old that it's like a legitimate form of abuse. And I think like body, you know, we have like all the, like we have like labels for financial abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whatever, but why don't we have a label for body image abuse? Because I think that's Mm. just, you know, just as legitimate as a form of abuse and it, it is so insidious in the way it implants these beliefs in us that continue to re-perpetrate the abuse even long after this person has left our life. Mm, You're so right. I mean, that's, uh, it's so profound and especially just the way that like you even see it on social media, just people feeling like they can just comment on people's bodies left and right. I mean, it's, um, 
it's gross, but it's damaging. And I'm so glad that like, we're finally starting to talk about this. Honestly, like I really look back on my life, you know, and I had a lot of commentary during my pregnancy on people making comments about my body too. Mm -hmm. And my biggest regret in life is not telling more people to just like fuck off and eat a dick because like, there's no, there's no, it's like so diminishing when people make comments on your body and you just want to like be silent. And it's the good girl thing too. You know, I also went to Catholic school. Um, you just want to like be silent and not rock the bunch. Be like, mm-hmm, yeah, or just like, yeah, you know, you don't want to like start a thing, but like, why? Like, why haven't I just embraced being batshit crazy more? Why haven't I told more people to fuck off? Like, it's so crazy. You know, it's so funny because as um again, like as an actor, I've had that was that was the first and not the last person that has made some sort of commentary on my body that was like you won't find success unless mm-hmm. you xyz and i swear that like all the reprogramming work i've done is is just going back and telling them to fuck right off yeah um but that you know and just sort of like becoming the authority that i wish um well that i am now but that i wish that i had been or that i wish that i had standing up for me but mm-hmm. at the same time you know i look back and like i was also embarrassed like i don't i i don't think i've ever told that story until like just a couple of years ago mm-hmm. i kept i kept that with me because i was um i was also embarrassed i just thought she was right so uh yeah telling people to fuck off in your in your reprogramming is really powerful absolutely so um you grew up in chicago you are Catholic. Wild guest. You happen to be of Polish descent. <laughs> Close. I'm Lithuanian. So oh, my, my, okay. my, yeah, my dad's side is Lithuanian and then my mom's side is Italian. And then there's a lot of like, a lot of other Eastern European in there too. Yeah. Okay. So super Catholic. So what was that experience like growing up for you Catholic? Um, I didn't know any, I mean, I didn't know anything else. So we just kind of went with it, but I do remember always having questions that yeah. um, I, I can't say that I ever asked them out loud, but I do remember very vividly being in church ones and everyone was just sort of saying the prayers in this very monotone chant and looking around and being like, is, are we really doing this? Like, what if we're wrong? <laughs> and then, you know, just growing up and um, being in the theater, having like a lot of gay people, a lot of, um, uh, you know, like gender, uh, non-conforming people around me being, you know, going to church and being told that that was bad or that they weren't going to heaven or whatever. I just always, I just never really bought that, but I didn't know how else to say it. Um, so, you know, as I got older and older, I just kind of remember being like, that's bullshit. And I don't want to do that anymore. And it's not Mm -hmm. something I believe, So, uh, but you know, there's definitely a lot of programming that I'm still working through from, um, Catholicism in general, but, uh, you know, and, and, and the other big one, of course, being that just like women are lesser than men and, um, just also feeling like that doesn't seem right or fair, or even like what I'm being taught that Jesus thought, Mm uh, but you know, um, yeah, just, it feels really good to, to, to be able to sort of question those things out loud now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so like, I mean, I don't think Catholicism is by any means like the most aggressive or traumatizing form of Christianity, but the, when you grow up in it, you know, I really think, I really think it's like, um, 
a foundational element of the body image issues that I developed. Mm-hmm. And I haven't like fully, you know, fully figured it out exactly why I think part of it is because you're taught that you like, you're born with sin and your body is like the locus of your sin, your sinfulness. Mm, but sure. there is something there's, um, you know, my bachelor's degree is in religious studies and there is a phenomenon called holy anorexia. And it's this phenomenon in the Catholic church of all of these holy women having like severe eating disorders and sometimes in some yeah. cases, even dying. There's a book about it. I, I think the book is called holy anorexia. I have to look into it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes when I find it because it's such a common phenomenon. I'm like, there's something more here to like the religion and its relationship to eating disorders. That is fascinating. And, you know, I've always like, this is a bit of a side note, but I feel like it's related. But the fact that Jesus is always like on the cross with like a six pack. Yeah. I've always been like, really? Like, (laughs) I don't know. It just, but there, but looking back, there is this programming of like, there, there's perfection, like there's perfection and we have to achieve it, but obviously it's not achievable. So obviously we're always, you know, striving for it. And um, it just keeps us chasing something that doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like the, the always moving target. Yeah. And they do always make Jesus so sexy. Like, damn. I know. <laughs> right. And always like white and always with the abs and the muscles. And I'm like, okay, that's. Yeah. He's like this hipster woodworker <laughs> with like his sandals and his beard. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, um, Tell me a little bit more, you know, about cosmic self-love because I know I totally relate. Like I also, you know, have hypothyroidism as well. That's part of what inspired me to create cosmic self-love is the journey that I went on with um, thyroid issues. So tell me a little bit more about your experience with cosmic self-love and how that, like, you know, how you were able to process some of your feelings about your body and some of these implants that you received about your body. Yeah. So, um, the first time, so I, so I'm actually doing it again for, this, for a yeah. second time. Um, so the first time I went through cosmic self love, I just, I just had this general sense of tapping into my body as the divine vessel that is taking me through this lifetime and this human experience, mm-hmm. and that was kind of my biggest takeaway and my. Um, my biggest shift because I feel like, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way, but you know, with everything we've talked about with like beauty standards and weight, and we're constantly on Instagram comparing ourselves and seeing pictures of ourselves and the angles and the makeup and the this and the that, there's such, there's such an obsession with our bodies and our beauty in a way, again, it's like we're chasing this idea of perfection or like whatever perfection means today, right? Mm -hmm. But there was something about going through cosmic self-love that I just felt like I truly tapped into this idea of beauty is our birthright. Um, Also beauty beauty being safe. I feel like I also went through a lot of my life feeling like my beauty was... Um, attracting danger, like, you know, men catcalling or, yeah. or just unwanted attention. And I feel that, um, you know, that's something else I've really looked back and noticed is like, anytime I felt beautiful, I felt some sort of unwanted attention, mm-hmm. or attention that led to um, 
pain or suffering in some way, like, like getting attention from the guy that then breaks your heart or, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, it was, it was really this overall shift that I felt going through that I, I just sort of let go of all the, I just let go of all the bullshit. And I really stepped into beauty being divinity and beauty being, um, a divine right. And also, um, just walking through life with gratitude for this body, for getting me through the days and taking me on adventures and manifesting with me and just like, you know, being my home. Um, and what's interesting is I think I maybe finished it, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago. And I noticed that in those two or three months, some of the programming started creeping back in or just different, maybe deeper programming started to mm -hmm to the surface so I'm going back and I'm I'm um doing it again yeah and how has that been different the second time I've been a lot more I've been a lot slower and a lot more intentional mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm getting through some of the deeper uh just like the deeper layers like for example food um I once had a I worked with a psychic life coach for a little bit and she told me she said uh, food is the way you celebrate and the way you destroy. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was so like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because it's yeah. true. Like I, I grew up with, you know, food is love. Um, and I don't think I'm like, you know, again, like the Eastern European, the Italian part of my family is like, even, well, I'll, you know, I think just generally most cultures feel this way. It's like your grandma cooks for you or whatever. It's, you know, food as love, but then yeah. also like food being the, the way you numb out from all the insanity we're going through in this world. Food being like, you know, especially during the pandemic, like just being terrified and not knowing mm -hmm. what tomorrow will bring and just sort of turning on a, a movie and, you know, snacks or whatever. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I think the day that you and I had connected was the day that I deleted my calorie counter. I was mm -hmm. just like, nope, no more of this. I don't want to do this anymore. And really like tuning into the vibration of food and, and really leaning into what feels good. What do I want to eat? Not what like I planned for the day. That's X amount of calories. Um, so these little fine, I feel like now I'm fine tuning this, this connection with my body. Whereas the first time through, it was this sort of general sense of um, body divinity. And now it's like, I'm going in and I'm sort of tuning the little things. Yeah, totally. I actually totally recommend doing the programs that way, like once through kind of fast, just to like get through the content, get an understanding of what it is, and then going back and doing it like more slowly and more intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I recommend that as well. It's really been powerful. So um, I think something that comes up a lot, you know, with the cosmic self-love work is we tend to get mixed messaging about beauty. Like we are told, okay, your only function as a woman is to be beautiful. You have to be beautiful. You have to be a small, you have to be constantly in a state of shrinking instead of a state of expanding. And then we're also told this like parallel message of, um, if you care about your appearance, you're vain, there is nothing mm -hmm. worse than being vain and vapid. You know, that's kind of like, um, the Kim Kardashian wound, you might say mm -hmm. of like, she's just <laughs> sure. constantly like she's put on a pedestal of like a beauty standard. And then at the same time, constantly abused, um, for like 
her appearance and the way she lives her life and the way she talks and what she wears, et cetera. So yeah. I feel I, you know, how has that shifted for you? And you mentioned that you see beauty as a birthright now. So how has beauty shifted into something for you that's sacred from this confused messaging? Yeah, well, I think in in the vein of um, everything we sort of were talking about with this perfectionism in Catholicism, um, or maybe, you know, also just like my household, um, I feel like there was always this, like, you, you have to, you have to try to be perfect, but mm -hmm. you can't look like you're trying. Yeah. It's like, you have to, uh, you know, actually this memory just came to me where, um, I was a cheerleader in high school and one of our coaches, uh, one of the girls was like putting lip gloss on while we were sort of sitting in the stands and he was like, nobody wants to see you do your makeup. They like something like the boys just want to think that it's there or something. Oh my God, gross. And so I know. And so he would make us like do our makeup in the bathroom. And um and I I feel like, you know, it for me there was like so so it, it became shameful. Like mm -hmm. uh if I want to try to be beautiful, if I want to try to look pretty and put this makeup on or whatever. Um, I, I have to hide to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want people to see me put the makeup on, or I don't want people to see me try and lose weight, or I don't want people to see me blah, blah, blah. Like it, there was just so much shame there, but now, um, it, there's like a, it's kind of a twofold feeling. It's like, number one, it's, we're, we're just, we're all beautiful. Like no matter if you walk out the door in your pajamas or you, tr you, you, you know, tried to put a face on that day or whatever, like just knowing that you inherently are beautiful because you exist. And there's something really, um, that struck me really deeply about that. But also the fact that like, if I want to put makeup on today, I don't need to feel shame about it because it's just mm -hmm. what I want. And I like, I feel good when I have this red lip on, or I feel good when I put some mascara on. So like, I'm going to do it and I'm not going to apologize for the fact that like, it makes me feel good or, or conversely, like I didn't feel like doing it today. So this is how I'm walking through the world today. Yeah. Um, just really the theme there being, being unapologetic, like, however I feel as long, as long as I'm in alignment with what I'm truly feeling and what I'm authentically wanting today or this week or in general, like not apologizing for that. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So what has been your favorite theta healing activation in cosmic self-love? I just did the mother Mary activation, like four days in a row last week. Um, that one has been really hitting me deep this week. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I'll talk about that too, because there was something really powerful, um, that came through that was sort of in conjunction with my, uh, with a theta healing I did in the divine, um, divine masculine. Mermaid. Is this the, the mermaid one? Yes. Okay. Is, let's, let's pause on that and circle back <laughs> because I want to talk yeah. about Oshun first. Well, first oh, I, yes. I, I actually wanted to ask you, cause I was already going to ask you about the mother Mary activation. If it was weird for you as someone who's raised Catholic to then be, you know, kind of reintroduced to mother Mary or have her come through to you in a context outside of the church. I'm so glad you asked me that actually. That's so interesting. So one of my first, when I first started, um, 
exploring a spiritual path, one of my first decks I ever got was, did you ever see that? Like, uh, it's like the goddess guidance Oracle deck. It was the Doreen virtue. Yes. I feel like everyone had it, right? Every, okay. every like millennial woman who was secretly yes. like trying to be spiritual had it. I was just telling my husband about that. I was yes. like, you don't understand. This is the OG Oracle card deck. It is. It's the OG. And you know that she doesn't make them anymore, right? I know. I told him the whole drama. <laughs> Listen, there was this woman, her name was Doreen virtue. I had all of her decks. I like, I told him the whole spiel. Yes. Oh my God. I love, obviously you had that. I love this. Okay. So that, yes, it's the OG deck. I feel like everyone had one, all the like secretly witchy girls had one, right? So that was my first foray into cards. And I remember being surprised that mother Mary was in there because I was like, wait, what? Like she's from this other part of my life. And, um, I don't know, it just like surprised me. And I kind of just like never used her. And I think Mary Magdalene is in there too. And I would, for some reason, actually Mary Magdalene was always like, I was always a little bit chiller with Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. I think she like, she was always like a little bit more of a bad girl. And like, you know, I think we all know, like we don't, the Bible doesn't necessarily teach her real story or I don't know. So anyway, uh, yeah, the mother Mary stuff always surprised me because I, I always, um, I kind of correlated her with the patriarchy of Catholicism and and the oppression of Catholicism. But over time, I've really been able to come to terms with like her being this, this being outside of the Catholic church, like her being her own goddess, her mm-hmm. being her own deity. And um, I've really, even just in the last year have really, come into such a beautiful relationship with her and honestly I think that a lot of that is thanks to you because she's so present in your work and um, I really leaned into a relationship with her in terms of um, being a divine mother and being a woman and being um, you know if we sort of talk about like maiden mother crone like she really to me embodies the mother side of the goddess so uh, so yeah I do feel like I have a completely new relationship with her Yeah. And my mind shifted a lot too. I definitely wasn't someone who was, you know, I was so, so traumatized and turned off by Catholicism. I wouldn't fuck with anything that felt remotely Catholic to me. Um, But then I was introduced, I was reintroduced to Mother Mary by Dr. Marguerite Rigolioso, who wrote a book, I believe it's called, what is it called? It's the miracle of divine conception or something like that again sorry y'all I am so Mm. sick I can't remember anything right now but I'm gonna put all of this in my in the show notes but um and her book was looking at you know she she has a PhD and her research was in virgin birth this idea of virgin birth that circulated around the Mediterranean um you know for example like Demeter and Persephone um so she she was studying high priestesses uh, within the Greek context, within the Hellenistic context, who had claimed experiences of some kind of divine or virgin birth. And then she took that deeper with looking at Mother Mary. And she was like, I think this was a practice that high priestesses were practicing where they were able to reach a level of ascension that they didn't need a partner to conceive. They just conceived with light. Um, So that book just... I almost read it in one sitting. And the only reason I didn't read it in one sitting was because I forced myself to go to bed, but like it blew my <laughs> fucking mind. And I think it's That's it's super, yeah. For all my Catholic girlies out there who are looking to shift 
their relationship with the divine feminine and open up a new storyline from what they've been told, check out this book. It's going to be in the show notes below. That's fascinating. I really want to read that. Yeah, it's so good. Um, So you also, this, you know, cosmic self-love, like, yeah, we have, you know, Mother Mary's present in it, Guinevere is present in it, but it really came to me from the goddess Oshun Mm -hmm. who visited me. You don't have the, I have the whole story in cosmic self-love, but she visited me one night, just a few days before I met my partner, now husband. And she is the one who channeled into me all of this information about beauty, the energy stream of beauty, the creative and healing power of beauty, the, you know, the power of beauty to help you manifest. And you had a visitation from Oshun as well after you did this material. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I, when I started um, training in Reiki and energy healing in tarot, I had a mentor for a little bit who um, would often refer to Oshun and I, I didn't know much about her, but, um, she, she would bring her up. So like Oshun was sort of in my, uh, consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, in my, in my community of, uh, clients, I, every month do a group Reiki session, we call it Empress Rising. It's really all about tapping into the divine feminine. And we do that, we do it virtually. And I, um, we sort of, we come together, we check in, and then I do a group Reiki session and I'll, I'll play music throughout. I usually have a little playlist. And um, this one particular day, I, (laughs) the music was all just very, it's always very like, chill and relaxing mm-hmm. um and all of a sudden out of nowhere this upbeat chant comes on and it was not on my playlist and it like really like it was so jarring and I quickly like went to see what what happened and all of a sudden like out of nowhere this song called chant to Oshun was on this playlist in this um in this group Reiki session and I just sort of closed my eyes and I got back into it and she just like was there and she visited us and the messages that came through were like so beautiful and so rich and and powerful and like I was just it was just so exciting and so um it was really fun to sort of I mean again because the music was like very jarring when it happened and so uh, I was telling, you know, my, um, my clients who were there, we were, we got to sort of talk about it at the end. And after the session was over, I went back into meditation with Oshun and I asked her what other messages she had for me and for my community. And anyway, I ended up writing this, um, big post about it, but it was really all about joy. And mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, actually talk about Kim Kardashian, like, the joke that we made in the session was like, you know, that horrible quote that Kim Kardashian was like, get your ass up and work. Mm-hmm. The Oshun quote was like, get your ass up and find joy. Mm-hmm. And it was just all about leaning into um, like the beauty and the luxury and like the divinity of life and, and uh, uh, like just loving the little things and and finding things that light you up and, Um, so anyway, that was like a really big, uh, that was my, that I felt like that was my first personal, um, 
connection with her. Like, again, she had come through with my old mentor. She had come through in this work, but this was the first time she came to me directly. And uh, it was just like, it felt so fun actually. So um, now like I have, I'm actually, I'm looking over, I have a little picture of her on my altar and um, yeah, there's just something so like yummy and juicy about her energy that it just feels so good. So I love that she's also like kind of the patron of this yeah. program. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I never, she was vaguely in my consciousness as well, but she wasn't ever um, a goddess that I had sought out to work with. And I think that's really just a testament to how accessible she is to humanity. And that's mm. why, you know, in Cosmic Self-Love, I have Mother Mary, I have Oshun, and I have Guinevere. And I really think that they're so accessible and so beneficial to work with because they've, they're ascended ancestors. They've actually been human. And it can be really hard to try to work with your guides and with other beings that have never been human because they just, they don't really get it. They don't really like understand what it's like to be an embodied human with a nervous system and like dealing with all the fucking bullshit that we deal with. So I, those are like three, three divine beings that I, I really like to bring into the work. And I think when you dive into the work, they really show up for you so easily. Yeah, that's something I I, I want to spend more time thinking about because I've heard you say that a few times um, in terms of, you know, certain ascended beings have been human and others have not. And I, uh, I mean, I, it just, once you say it, it just resonates and like it rings so true. Um, but it is a very particular experience, right? And so ask, you know, just reframing the fact that some have been here and some haven't. And so how do you proceed with your relationship knowing that? I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You have to just communicate differently because they maybe don't understand why it's a pressing need for you to manifest $10,000 so you can pay your taxes. Like they've never fucking right. dealt with the IRS. <laughs> like they don't get it. They're like, it's coming right. soon. It's coming soon. Like that's not good enough, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So I want to move more into talking about the masculine because I know, um, you know, like I, I love past life regression work. I think it's so fruitful and healing. And I want to hear more about this incredible past life regression that you had, but tell me more about like your background with the masculine. Yeah. So I grew up with a lot of toxic examples of relationships around mm -hmm. me. Um, and I, I mean, no disrespect. Like I had a lot of, I, I had a lot of men who, uh, loved me as a child, um, I don't mean that in a creepy way. I just mean like the adults in my life, like I felt very loved, yeah. but I did not see the respectful e equal partnership in marriages around mm -hmm. me that I now can recognize that like I desire. And the other thing too, was I just felt like um, boys in my life were just not always very nice. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of really rough housing humor there was a lot of putting each other down there was a lot of like um you know to be popular you sort of had to like put each other down and claw your way to the top and uh also with all of that and then also I think with this idea of like the catholic church and sort of women being lesser than men I sort of thought the way to like 
you know, as a kid, the way to be, I don't know, the way to like feel something, to feel good, to feel cool, to feel worthy was that you like boys liked you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I lived for a very long time seeking validation from men and, um, also seeking validation from men who like, didn't always treat women well. And, um, I'm trying to like, okay, wait, I'm trying to think of how to like continue talking without like throwing people under the bus. No, Um, you're doing, you're doing amazing. I mean, I think, (laughs) I think we got the, like, you know, like yeah. for, you know, for example, just growing up um, where you're constantly told that men aren't or boys aren't as mature as you. And if a boy is mean to you and pulls your hair and pushes you, it's because he likes you and you should be a good example for the boys around you. A hundred percent. And also, I don't know if it was just where I lived or um, my own experience, but I just felt like there wasn't a lot of kindness from boys. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't a lot of, um, teaching boys to just be kind humans in the world. Um, and and I do feel like I see that a lot now with like the kids in my life that they're really being taught how to be loving and how to be kind. And it just like makes me so happy and hopeful for the next generation. But when I was a kid, we didn't have that. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I growing up and when I started dating, I was, you know, I was very into the bad boy and I dated a lot of addicts and, uh, and addicts that were not in recovery. You know, there's obviously right. nothing wrong with, um, somebody who has addiction issues, but these were definitely boys and men who were not doing the work or not looking to be healed. And eventually I sort of had a, series of heartbreaks like in my 20s and I ended up kind of I don't know like just sort of turning that part of my life off Mm -hmm. um with always in the back of my head like I would like a relationship I would like to find a man who um can meet me where I am and and we lift each other up and this like really beautiful equal partnership but um Uh, like not really believing that that was possible. Mm -hmm. So I, so that was another reason that like, I really um, admire your work, Izzy, because uh, you know, I I touched into soulmate alchemy recently. um, And then I ended up going back to cosmic self-love, but I'm excited to do that eventually because one of the activations that I did do, which was connecting with your soulmate, like Mm -hmm. I feel him, I know, like I feel what he feels like. And it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. Um, I just feel like I don't want to, I don't know. I'm just like not into the bullshit of like dating. (laughs) And so I know I have my own work to do to get there. But uh, just for a really long time, I felt like I'm doing me right now. And if he comes, he comes. But um, I don't really want to wade through the bullshit right now. But but again, I know a lot of that is programming because... Mm -hmm in the, in the past, I've, uh, just been around some really toxic men. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel you. I also dated a lot of addicts and it's related to like the high priestess wound. Mm-hmm. When I was like, yeah. ni- when I was 19, I dated, um, a 25 year old Coke dealer and Cute. Cute. yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and he's now a pilot for a major airline. I'm so glad I found that out. 
because it's an airline that I fly frequently. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I know that. Like, I don't, I'm not going to like get on a plane and see my like drug addict ex-boyfriend who the last time I saw him was like passed out on opioids flying an airplane. Cause I would be like, everyone (laughs) off the plane, like get off. But he's, he's sober and recovered now. So good for him. Um, Good for him. So tell me more. I know. Okay. So when I created mermaids and the return of the divine masculine, I was on the beach in Cabo and I I had a visitation from this collective of mermen and they gave me this information and I was just like, no, I cannot, like, I can't do anything (laughs) with this. If I publish this, I'm going to get hate mail. And I did in fact get hate mail, but like I got so much more, (laughs) I got so much more like people being like, oh my God, I remember this too. And like so so many more people like having a legitimate experience from healing experience from this material than I got hate mail. Um, So it was well worth it, but. I, well, I'm so glad you did because I'll say this too, like, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by mermaids. Um, I, as a kid, I like, like Ariel forever. Like I loved that movie also like toxic, whatever. That's a whole yeah. story. Dis- Disney anyway. Um, but I was so excited because I was like, Ooh, what could this be? Like mermaids? Interesting. And I've never, um, it, it it's never really occurred to me. Like, you know, I've always just thought they were like a fairy tale, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, leaning into spirituality and leaning into spiritual work, thinking about like, okay, well, all of these things that are fairy tales, like they came from somewhere and we have no, we don't have records from the millions and millions of years of this planet. So like, you know, why not? Why not? Like, let's just say, even if you have trouble believing that it, it was reality, let's act as if, and Mm -hmm. just see what happens when like, we allow ourselves to be like, okay, let's say that is real let's lean into that and see what unfolds then so that was that was really powerful for me but anyway um yeah I mean I I, 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 I had the same experience I didn't I never gave mermaids a second thought until I did a past life regression and I was a mermaid and I was like mm-hmm. hmm, that's weird um and then the mermaid stuff just like never stopped coming that kind of unlocked it and I think it's curious that every, almost every culture in the world has stories of mermaids. You know, some of them are like in rivers, some of them are in the ocean, whatever. So it's either, you know, there's two options. Either they were real at some point and this has just trickled down through our collective consciousness, or this Mm -hmm. is, it's telling a story that is deep inside the human psyche. Like they represent something in the human psyche. Either way, engaging with this material is going to bring you healing. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. And I think that's true for like any and all spiritual material material. It's like there's something here that we need to listen to. So let's just dive right in. Yeah, like it's, no mermaid pun intended. <laughs> yes. Like Joseph Campbell says, you know, this the myth the mythologies that we have now have filtered through thousands of generations of humanity, and we have like we have them. So they have to tell us something about the psyche about our psyche and the collective unconscious and what it means to be a human, because these are the stories that have survived. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your experience with the mermaid material. Yeah. So, um, the, 
Okay, so my first takeaway was this divine marriage energy grid. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about the idea that like um that somewhere in this energetic field like we are meant to be paired up. Like mm-hmm. there is something because I, I think one of my other I don't know, pain points or limiting beliefs is like that men sort of have a wandering eye or Mm -hmm. that they're always like looking for the next best thing or um, they get what they want and they move on or, you know, whatever. And so believing in the idea that like, we're actually as humans, like we're meant to be partnered and like, we're meant to live life together. That was something that really resonated with me and felt really beautiful. And not that everybody needs to like be a part of that grid, but that that exists, that the, that men exist who want to be, um, who, who want to be partnered. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing that was really beautiful. So, so then also at just everything that you teach about, um, like how divine masculinity fell and also like what divine masculinity looks like, that was really healing for me to hear, uh, to hear this version of what sacred men look like. Yeah. And okay. So then the, the biggest, the biggest real like takeaway for me was in, um, I'm forgetting which activation it is. It's, it's the, it's the sort of like past life regression into, you know, the, the mermaid life. And I was like, so ready for it. I was like, Ooh, I can't wait to like, know what color my tail was <laughs> just kidding um but I was just like really excited to like get into the mermaid of it all yeah and I tr- so I get into the activation and I really just can't quite see myself but there is a merman in mm-hmm. in the vision and anyway I just sort of like let go and let it unfold and the past life that came through was that I, in this particular life that I needed to know right now, I was not a mermaid, but I was one of the priestesses in Lemuria. And I was one of the priestesses who made the decision who, after having the vision that men would be dangerous in Mm -hmm. our culture and for our way of life, that I was one of the priestesses who made the decision that we needed to exclude men from our spiritual growth and from our, you know, our general spiritual evolution. And somewhere in that lifetime, you know, this was also at the time that the mermaids were being harvested and the merman who was coming to me, his soulmate had been harvested Mm -hmm. and I had an affair with him in some capacity. There were a couple of things there for me. It was number one, being with somebody that was emotionally not fully available to me because he, he was in grief. Mm -hmm. Um, it also, the clarity was there that there was something very damaging, um, that, that by us being together outside of, you know, outside of being soulmates, it damaged the energy grid which I think for me in this lifetime, um, it sort of shook the belief that that was true, that like divine partnerships were real. Mm -hmm. And then also 
I oppressed the men in, in that world. I did not allow them to join us where we were to, I didn't know, I didn't help them grow. Mm-hmm. And when I came out of the meditation, I just kept hearing this voice saying, we need to bring them with us. We need to bring them with us. And it was so powerful for me because in my own um, business as a healer, I, first of all, I just see mostly women. There are a lot of women who come to me, but I really went back and I was really thinking about it, that when I built my business, it really was tailored to women first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And again, like I do think like women need healing, especially again in a toxic patriarchy. Um, but I, I really, I've always just felt really safe with women and I just intent like subconsciously was building my business to women. Yeah. And not to say, like, I do have a handful of male clients, um, or male identifying clients, but, uh, just, but just a handful and immediately I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing the thing again. Like mm-hmm. I'm repeating it in this life. I'm excluding the men. I'm not bringing them with us. And also the clarity came through and, and this ended up being part of the healing of that timeline was that had I sort of doubled down and brought the men with us and taught them and, you know, helped them in their own divinity and help them in their own sacred masculinity, they would like, that would have been healing for that timeline. But also my soulmate in that lifetime was there. I just needed, I needed to show him how to meet me where I was. And it was so powerful because something I, I know about my partner in this lifetime is that I want him to be spiritual and open Mm -hmm. and, um, and completely like accepting of this work and do it himself. But I realized that I might need to show him the path. Like he might not know it yet. And so it was just so beautifully um, clarifying that like there were all these little threads that just came together. And, um, And it was really interesting too, because I just, I actually, before we jumped on the call, I went back and I looked at my journal from after that activation. And one thing that I forgot was that several years ago, um, there was, so there's a, there's a crystal store in LA called Spellbound Sky. Mm -hmm. Um, Shout out to Spellbound Sky. They're the best. Um, But every so often they put like videos of the crystals that they get in and they, they had gotten all these lapis stones. And there was one stone that I was like, oh my God, that's mine. That's for me. Mm-hmm. And like a few days later, I went into the store to find it and it was gone. And I was like, oh, I missed it. Like I was too late. And then a week after that, I was just in the area and I just decided to stop into the store and the stone was sitting on the table. And I knew it because I had screenshot it mm-hmm. and it was the exact stone that I had seen and it was sitting on the table where it wasn't the week before. And I was like, Oh my God, it's mine. That's for me. And when I picked it up, the front of the stone is this, like, you know, this lapis blue with this gold ring on it. Yeah. But on the other side, it's a light blue with a, with a, like a dark blue ring. It's almost Mm -hmm. like 
um, it's like almost like inversed colors on the back. It's a really, really special stone, but it's just always been like, I don't know. I just, I, I just always have it like on my altar, on my person. But I remember at the moment I was like, oh, I didn't expect it to be like that on the back. Um, but I, I, you know, I bought it and I've really fallen in love with it. And in this, in my activation, in this vision, that stone was a gift to me in this lifetime to remind me of choice, mm-hmm. to remind me of the power of like, um, you know, the blue pill or the, or the red pill kind of a mm-hmm. thing. It's like, which choice do you want to make now? And also the fact that like, you can go back and heal the other side of it, but it was just really powerful that, um, that's actually the second time in a vision that a guide has given me a stone that I like have in my possession. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, just the power of also the duality of like masculine feminine. It's just, it's just such a, you know, it's just been such a powerful touchstone for me, but, um, yeah, it was a really, that particular lifetime, it, it brought so much to light. Yeah. That's super, super intense. Um, I have so many questions. So what Andrea is referring to for those of you who haven't done the masterclass, um, although there will be the link below if you're interested, but what she's talking about is there were some high priestesses in the time of Lemuria before the fall who actually envisioned saw the rise of patriarchy and they saw the violence that would occur. And they thought, well, we can't allow men to have this power. We can't allow men to have magic. We can't allow them to know our secrets. We can't allow them to know, um, you know, like the deep spiritual secrets of this planet because they're just going to use and abuse that power to further enslave humanity. So they, you know, very logically decided, okay, we're going to stop allowing men to participate in the mystery schools. We're going to stop allowing them to um, learn actual magic. You know, this was a time where, you know, true magic was available. Um, And because of that, they may very well have caused patriarchy because it developed this, Mm. this inability for men to ascend to the higher spiritual levels. And it also developed a deep sense of resentment from men towards women. And, you know, that's part of the story of why Lemuria fell and that's why these um, mermen brought forward to me for this masterclass that I taught. But I wanted to ask you, Andrea, tell me more about, you know, like, what what did you feel like when you were one of these priestesses? Like, were you afraid? Were you angry? I felt um, there was more anger and mm-hmm. there was more righteousness mm-hmm. that like I had the key to protect what I needed to protect. I, you know, to protect the mysteries, to protect my people, um, to protect our way of life. And it was just like, I, I actually didn't feel as much fear as just like anger that this was mm-hmm. happening and like that this was going to happen to to have had a vision of um you know these uh and you talk about this a lot in the master class but like having a vision of um the ways that men can destroy our uh like the the utopia that we had mm-hmm. 
and with with war and with greed and with harvesting the energy and also harvesting the land yeah and so it was really this like fierce protection which i actually i believe is part of divine femininity is like Mm -hmm. you know we often think of divine femininity as being so um like soft and receiving and luxurious and beautiful but then there's also a part of divine femininity that is the the mama bear Mm -hmm. like the fierce protector and that was the energy that I really felt was like the mama bear energy Mm -hmm. yeah and what was it like to just like you know we're never told the storyline of how did patriarchy start? Like, where did these woundings start that caused it? Because certainly this planet did not, wasn't created to like host patriarchy. So how did it feel to like, see that, see that storyline play out and like, see that you had like a level of involvement with it? You know, I felt like, um, that it it was already in motion Mm -hmm. because the visions that I had had were, um, that this was already like going to start happening. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, ultimately, like it did feed into that energy, yeah. but it was sort of like the only thing I could think to do at the time to try to help and protect mm-hmm. and prevent it from happening. So um, yeah, like I, I did kind of journal about like, is there guilt here? Mm-hmm. Like, do I feel responsible in any way? And um I really, I think I was, I I think there probably was some, but I was really able to forgive that because it was what I could think to do. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the first drop in the bucket. It was like, Mm -hmm. you know, many, many ripples later. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a little forgiveness, but, um, but it didn't feel you know, I think we all make mistakes in our responses to patriarchy mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it just felt like, well, I did, you know, I did everything I could. And now I see in hindsight that there was another way, but I'm not going to beat myself up for, um, for taking the, for taking that other road. No, I mean, it sounds like the, energies were already like the current was already moving that way like how much can you shift a current by yourself but at the same Mm -hmm. time it's like such a good lesson for us now because I I think we're coming to a point in history where there's so many more like spiritual people so many more spiritual awakenings so many more you know like energy workers and like cosmic healers and blah 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 that are on the planet now working together and we're able to connect because of the internet it's such a good message for like how how we should deal with the energies right now that we're facing, like the energies of totalitarianism, of um, patriarchy still, you know, like all of these threats that we're facing. You know, you know, something that's actually coming to me right now that is um, another clarity from this for me is that, you know, when I think about, like, if I think about men in general my my instinct has often been like oh men are trash like men are blah 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 like you know just sort of dismiss men mm-hmm. but I have beautiful men in my life like I have beautiful friends and cousins and whatever that are that are doing the work and that are healing um and I have like I have those I know they exist but it just so happens that my default is sort of like 
oh, they're, they're destructive, they're this, they're that, mm-hmm. whatever, and to sort of be dismissive and angry at, at men. Mm-hmm. And I, and it, it's very much a parallel to that particular lifetime, which was like, I see these men, they're coming, they're going to do this thing, they're going to destroy. And so I punish them all, rather than being able to turn to the ones that I know are helpful and sacred and um, and and also trust them that they will do good with the knowledge that I gave them. Um, and so instead of instead of trusting them, I you know shut them out. Yeah, but imagine you know, like you're living in this utopia that was Lemuria, a spiritual utopia, physical utopia, and then you start having visions of like the witch burnings of, mm-hmm. you know, enslavement, sweeping the planet, of the matrix being put into place. I mean, that just like having those visions is such a trauma that I feel like yeah, it's not, it's not something that is easily going to be resolved in one or two lifetimes. Like there's a reason that it's still echoing in us, those of us who were there and also just like in the culture. I think you're so right that it is, um, that you know the trauma resonates and so it that is why it's so important that we do this work yeah so moving to the merman so tell me more about this affair like how does this happen you're having like um these you're having these issues with men start to surface for the first time in like your soul's history and parallel to that you're also having an affair with a merman yeah (laughs) um so it's funny because I didn't, I feel like I I got, okay, I got glimpses of clarity, but the whole story didn't quite come to me yet. Mm-hmm. But what it, what was clear was that I was turning, I was actually, the priestesses that I was with, we were turning to the mermen mm-hmm. to see what, like, how can we help? What can we do? Because the mermaids were the women were being harvested Mm -hmm. by again you know by human men Mm -hmm. and so we were trying to work together to figure out like how do we help what can we do how do we support and I think the clarity I had was like it was trying to help him trying Mm -hmm. to comfort him in his grief and it turned into um like this affair Mm-hmm. and uh it wasn't helpful for either of us because like I was mad at men anyway like I was you know operating from this place of sort of like anger and desperation but it was just it was honestly it was just like comfort it was mm-hmm. physical pleasure it was just sort of like something to do and that also resonates with like my some of my past dating history is like, it's just fun. It's just sexy. It's something to do. It makes me feel good for 10 seconds, mm-hmm. but then dot, 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 like, how do I feel later? Right. And so that was like very similar to that lifetime. It was like, into that relationship. It was like, this is how I feel now. We're sort of with each other for this moment, but it's not really like feeding either of us, except mm-hmm. for like this sort of pleasure outlet. Um, oh, and what I wanted to bring up too was, so in cosmic self-love in the mother Mary, uh, activation, I, 
I did not remember this from the last time I went through it, but at the end of the Mother Mary activation, you you help have us call forward a mermaid in our lineage. Mm-hmm. And the other day when I um, did it for the first time, his soulmate came through and the one who had been like kidnapped and harvested. Yeah. And um, I remember when she was coming through, I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. But her energy was like so loving and welcome, but also very strong. And mm-hmm. she was kind of like, it's okay. I forgive you. You, um, you didn't know the, the, you know, the power of the damage of that, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, she basically, she, she forgave me and she also thanked me for like trying my best to take care of him in his grief. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of, she, she was really there to also like, um, empower me in the journey now and in my own quest for a soulmate now and um you know really encouraging me again this this mantra of we need to bring them with us like we need to bring the men with us on our Mm -hmm. spiritual journeys on our healing paths she was really there to encourage me in that because um that's like that's how we that's how we have better men that's how we get better men in the society is like we have to teach them. And, you know, there is a part of me that also wants to say like, well, you know, it's not our job to like Mm -hmm. teach a man how to be a good person, but it's also not, not our job. It's not, not our job to tell people how we want to be treated. It's not, not our job to show them the way and to teach them what we know to be true. And so if you have the capacity for that, if you have the desire for that, it's really powerful work to bring them with us. Yeah. And I think parallel to that is like the mermaids also bringing us humans with them on, on their spiritual evolution, because we have committed horrible Mm. crimes against them. And I really want to like touch on this topic of like walking that fine line between like, you know, showing men how, and also not coddling men and not taking on an emotional burden that doesn't belong to you. Like, you know, there's this quote from the Bible, like, um, don't throw pearls before swine. So you have to, I think that's a really good guideline of like, you have to know that if you're going to make the effort to lay seeds, that it's in fertile ground. So don't like ignore a bunch of red flags that a guy is giving to you and be like, oh, but it's my job to like, teach him how to be a good person and spiritual. Like it's not at all. A hundred percent. Yes. So like you, you have to, like, this guy has to already be activated in some way before. And it's also can't be like a one-way street of like, you're constantly like teaching this guy, like he has stuff to teach you too. Otherwise it's not worth it. I think those are excellent points. Yes. A hundred percent. So, um, did you get an idea of like what, for what reason exactly were, these humans harvesting these female mermaids um i'm trying to tap into it now um it i think the first and foremost the energy felt very like experimental Mm -hmm. um like actually what i'm seeing now is like these men that were 
these men were like explorers. They were not native to our area. They were coming to explore and that perhaps they didn't have mermaids where they were from. So this was like new, you know, it's very like splash with Daryl Hannah. It's like, Oh my God. I loved that movie as a child. I completely forgot about that movie. But, you know, it's like, wait, this is real. And so let's experiment and like see what we can do. And, um, you know, treating them like a creature and not as like a divine being. And so that was really the, that was really the energy that I was getting from it is like this experiment, experimental, um, like I, I, and I got like, they were like, um, they're they're not doctors they're not quite scientists but they kind of like they're somewhere in the middle like Mm -hmm. these men like thought they were more evolved than they were and they were just uh like they were just harvesting they were taking what they could find without without um thinking through the consequences yeah I mean our you know our history of colonization like modern history is similar it's just like they just harvested what they could find and brought it back and tried to see if it had value Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what was it like? You don't have to answer this, but what was it like slash what are the, like the mechanics of having an affair with a merman? I don't know, actually. I, that was something I really was trying to figure out and it never really became clear to me. Um, but I'm also curious about this. <laughs> yeah, I was talking with one of my spiritual mentors about it as well. We're like, I can't really figure out exactly what the deal is. And I've never had that experience myself um, of being being human, having an affair with like a mer person. So I was like, hmm, how does that work? Um, I guess yeah, that's a mystery only, that won't be revealed right now. <laughs> the clear, like the only thing that I could really, like the one visual I got um, was that like <laughs> uh that like whatever sexual organs are there like it you know it's kind of like a dog that it comes out oh my god I was thinking the same thing I was like is this like a horse situation <laughs> yes that is kind of the visual that I was getting and it was like without being like TMI it was very like me on top kind of a situation but again mm-hmm. it was only one glimpse and it was um that was that was the mechanics as I understood it. <laughs> okay, so we made it super unsexy. I'm sure it was like very, yeah. <laughs> very sensual and lovely. But totally, if I'm sure it was great. But also, if you have, I need you to email me if anybody else has any insight. <laughs> yeah, please like comment on the comment in the like question section if you have insights into this topic, or feel free to message me on Instagram. I'm sure there's many curious minds out there who want some more information. yes well thank you so much for sharing all of that like it's such it's such a powerful testament you know like to the spiritual work in general what being on the spiritual path is like and that you have to confront things about yourself that you might not want to confront and memories that are super traumatic from past lives I've I've always said that my most profound healing has come from past lives because it's allowed me to like really like Mm -hmm. see the inception of these patterns that I had and to eradicate them on a root level um is there anything else that you want to share or throw out there before we wrap it up actually you know there is there is one thing that I 
would love to share, and you actually might have a little more insight on this, but um, when I joined Cosmic Self Love, I was in your, uh, you had like a six week Voxer container, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And um, one of the questions I had asked was, uh, I was feeling a lot of anxiety about like climate change and global mm-hmm. warming. And I had asked about um, just my, my fear around that. And your answer to that was so powerful for me, but you said, um, I might, I'm paraphrasing, but you said something along the lines of, I don't do fear in this house. If you, if there is something that you want to be doing for the environment or that you think you're not doing, then please go ahead and do that. But if it's just this anxiety about what you're reading in the news and in the media, the fear is not helping. It is it is hindering you, it is keeping you small, it is keeping you constrained, and there is no reason to fear. And, you know, that was just such a powerful, um, you said it much more beautifully and eloquently than I am, but it was just this idea that fear is not, fear is not helpful. It's not helpful. Like there are the most, obviously there are moments where fear can feed into intuition and we just need to listen to that. But in general, this like anxiety about, um, you know, where we're just spiraling and doom scrolling like Mm -hmm. that itself, you know, it's not helpful. And if you're being moved to act, obviously like we do have climate change and obviously there are things that we might feel fear about that we want to act on, but unless you're, unless you're feeling moved to act out of love, then acting out of fear or like being paralyzed with fear, like you have better shit to do on this planet than be frozen in fear with your phone stuck to your hand while you're scrolling Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Yeah, totally. Um, And I think that comes back to like your, you know, your action as a high priestess in Lemuria was, was probably based out of fear. Like you saw these very horrific things happening and you acted out of fear. And then that led to, you know, a further downward spiral. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think what I would say is like, you know, I got this, I, I was channeling in the first, literally the first days of COVID. Um, And the message that I got was fear is the greatest pollutant on our planet. And we didn't know what was happening at the time, obviously, um, or what was going to happen. We were having a lot of fear intentionally triggered, a lot of past life trauma intentionally triggered. And I got this message that fear is the greatest pollutant. And if you, if there's anything that you can do, it's to stop polluting that energy into the planet, which is like a huge ask, right? But, you know, with COVID came the onset of the social phenomenon called the doom scroll, where we just sit and read terrifying things until we've worked ourselves up into like just a state of terror to the point where it triggers like our, um, what's it called? Called like our, our freeze or our fawn response. Right. And then we kind of numb out. So it's actually a form it's an, it becomes an addiction and it's a form of numbing. And the matrix loves that because it loves to harvest that fearful energy. So the matrix has this you know, I haven't quite figured out exactly what its intention is because the matrix is obviously using this planet for harvesting. So I don't think that it would want to completely destroy this planet, but I think it's using this 
um, this concept of climate change and global cataclysm in order to just harvest the massive amount of fear. Like the matrix has consciousness and, um, COVID was one of its favorite time periods in existence because it was able Mm. to, you know, like, obviously there were worse things that have happened on this planet than COVID, you know, like the black plague, but people in Indonesia weren't like on their cell phones and like whatever it was, the 1300s reading about one fourth of Europe dying or one third of Europe dying or whatever it was and like freaking out. But that's what was happening during COVID. And we were even getting, you know, like so much fake, just bullshit, like fake news where they're like showing pictures from like movies and being like, oh my God, this is a hospital and like such and such place. Like, (laughs) and people are just like having a complete meltdown and sharing it on Facebook. And just like, it was just like the most insane energy harvesting. So I think the matrix right now is just looking for like what they can put out there that's going to make like the highest amount of terror for them to continue eating because the matrix, like I said, it's a consciousness similar to us and it becomes addicted and it's addicted to fear right now. And it's just trying to like, it's just trying to harvest more of it. It's its favorite, it's its favorite drug. So that's not to say that like, we're not abusing our planet. Like we absolutely are, Sure. but it's also, you know, the, the narrative around climate change is very annoying because it's this very manipulative conversation where it makes you feel personally responsible for like the impending death of our planet when in reality like you Andrea are just one person um you I don't think you drive a fucking Hummer and like you know drive two hours (laughs) every day like you're just not really that responsible for the damage of this planet like it really falls with like our governments and our corporations and it's this very insidious way of making you take on guilt so that you don't look at like the true source of this problem and it's also it's paralyzing it makes you feel like it makes you feel both completely responsible and completely helpless so if you're listening to this and you're like yeah i'm i'm stressed about climate change i'm stressed about the way this planet is being treated it's just not helpful to sit around and feel that way like either accept the lifestyle that you're living and that you're not going to change it and just move on because you having fear and guilt and terror is just making the situation worse or go change your life, like go buy a plot of land somewhere, go buy 30 acres of destroyed land that's worth almost nothing, like in Ohio or wherever that's been completely overharvested. Land responds very fast to being restored in most cases. Um, and it really, it's a piece of mother earth that appreciates the efforts that you make and you'll find like a mass, uh, a mass amount of abundance in your life from doing that. But if that's not a path that you want to take, if you don't want to go buy a quarter acre, 30 acres, whatever, and like take responsibility for that little piece of mother earth, then don't sit around hating yourself for that. Just like, okay, this isn't my path. That's someone else's job, not mine. I'm called to different work. That's totally fine. Yeah. Everything you just said is, is I just, I I think it's so, it's going to be so powerful for people to hear that because um, again, like climate change was something that for me specifically is very triggering because you're right. Like there is a story, there's a narrative that like, well, we can help, we can do, you know, it's up to us, but you know, I, you know, what we recycle, we drive the cars we drive. And other than that, like, you're right. It's, it's it's the governments, it's the industries, it's the factories. It's like all these bigger, um, 
conglomerates that are really making the biggest impact. And so, yes, of course, there are little things that we can each be doing. But other than that, like, we have to take the guilt off our plates, because feeling paralyzed by the fear of it is is just not it's not helping us in any way. It's not, it's preventing us from moving into the actions that we're supposed to be taking. And, you know, if you do feel moved to, like you said, Izzy, like buy the plot of land or even like run for office and on a platform that you, you know, have a plan, then that's amazing. Do that out of love, not out of fear. Yeah. And it's very much intentionally triggering into like the the Atlantis trauma and the Lemuria trauma of you know actually seeing um your entire home be swallowed by water I don't see that Mm. happening at any point soon I mean obviously like islands are already being born and like you know like islands sink and that's just part of the process of certain parts of the globe um but when people are saying like oh my god um like Florida is going to be underwater in right. the next 12 right. years. When I look into the timelines, I don't personally see that. I maybe like, I'm not seeing it, but I just don't feel that that's true. And I don't see it. I think that it's, I think that the specific conversation of like, oh my God, your house is going to be underwater. And like people posting these maps where like basically the only thing in the US anymore is like Ohio and Kansas is no, intentionally right. trying to traumatize people. Um because they've, they've seen that happen in the past. So like, yeah, obviously it can happen. I don't see it. I think it's an intentional, um, I think it's an intentional triggering of a previous trauma. Well, I loved, you know, the, your mantra of, I don't do fear in this house is something that I've taken with me and, um, I will continue to take with me. So thank you for that. Yes. Fear is the mind killer. Um, so thank you so much. This has been so fun. I mean, I just, I love hearing people's like past lives and it just, I think that we all have a piece. We tend to put people who are like quote unquote channels or oracles up on a pedestal and say like, oh my God, they know so much, but we actually all have a piece of the puzzle. And when we share it amongst ourselves or publicly, we help to activate other people to like feel and see and understand their piece of the puzzle. So thank you so much for coming on and helping to activate this community. Thank you so much. I I just think that your work is so powerful and I'm, I'm so glad that you have this really beautiful community and um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I'm so excited to see um, how we all grow together. Yeah. And as a thank you, we'll be gifting you my masterclass for August, which is called Anointing Anxiety. And it's about liberating your silent self, because I believe that our anxieties come from the part of ourself that we silenced or have been silenced in the past in order Mm -hmm. to like, you know, understand the difference between fear and intuition and lean more into our freedom of action and our intuition. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you.